You may have found us online. I don't know how you got here. Somebody may have invited you, maybe a roommate, or maybe just wandered in. Uh, and whatever the case is, we're glad you're here. But the reality is, uh, this may be the only chance that I get to speak to you, to some of you at least. And so at the beginning of the year, I always ask myself, okay, if I could tell a student or somebody who's visiting our ministry one thing, just one thing, what would I tell them uh, to do? What, what advice would I give them? If I could only have one conversation, what, what, what would I talk about? And for my la- the last several years, honestly, um, my answer has been the same and stayed the same. And it would be this, as you can probably see from the screen. I would tell you to prioritize the church, to prioritize the local church specifically. Prioritize the church. That's it. That's what I would want to tell you. There, there's going to be a lot vying for your time and your energy. Your cam- campus life's going to be hopping if you go to Liberty. But don't let anything crowd out your commitment to a local congregation. Commit to it. Love it. Learn from it. Find help for your needs in it. Serve the church. Make it your priority. And that's true for all of life not just for college, but especially for you during these formative college years. These years are, you know, if you're coming in as a freshman, you're going to be drastically different in four years. Drastically different. Most, many of those changes happen while you are in this season of life. Now, you're probably thinking, all right, if you're new, who is this guy? Like, he does Kennedy his PowerPoint together. Um, he's, telling me, he's telling me to prioritize the church. Uh, doesn't he know we're going to a Christian college? Most of you, I'm assuming, are going to LU. We have multiple convocations every week, you say. We have required Bible classes, you say. You know, we have campus community on Wednesday nights, you say, with community group meetings, you say, right? Is he saying I need even more of that just at church? Well, I mean, I know I'm supposed to go to church on Sundays, but it sounds like you're saying the local church is even more central than Liberty University. You're right. Um, I am. I'm saying that. And let me take it even further. Let me take it one step further here. Say it like this. One of the most important decisions that you will make while you are in that Christian university is which church of the 200 and some in this area you will commit to. And so now you're saying, okay, all right, now he seems way out of touch with my life. Uh, I've got a major to decide, a spouse to find, right? These are some pretty important decisions. No? Sounds a little bit like you're an overzealous pastor, trying to pad the stats a little bit in his own college ministry. Well, that's not at all what we're doing. When more people come into our ministry, my heart responds in two ways, and it's almost at the same time. It's almost simultaneous. I fear and I rejoice. Now, let me explain those. I fear because every new soul represents one more person that Rich and I and the other leaders are going to have to give an account for at the judgment seat of Christ. That's according to Hebrews 13, 17. I will have to give an account for your souls. I once was told by an 80-some-year-old pastor that on that day, I will certainly not wish for a bigger ministry. And yet, my heart does rejoice. Why? 
Well, because even though our church is not perfect, it's far from perfect, okay? But we do believe it's healthy. We'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But if you commit to a healthy church, a biblical church, it will literally be life-giving to your soul. You'll find life, you'll find protection, you will find growth. And if you're new, you are most likely invited here by someone that's super zealous about Timberlake, right? Maybe a little too zealous, okay? Because there's, <laughs> there's other churches in town, we're not the only show. But they're zealous, and I'm zealous, we're zealous, because, Lord willing, we have all experienced what I just described. We've experienced the growth, the protection, the love, all that God intends for us here through the local church, and we want others to experience it too. So if you were invited by a very, very zealous person to come to TBC, that's why. As we're going to see, the local church is designed by God to be absolutely central to the life of every believer. And for you, it's just especially tempting to think that because you attend a Christian school, because you hear preaching at a convocation, because you sit in Bible classes, or because you have Christian friends on the dorm, that you have all you need. You might be tempted to think, I'm safe. I'm just going to automatically flourish because I'm in this environment. I'm on the mountain. But I think you'll see today that as good as LU can be, and we praise God for Liberty University, as good as it can be, it is not all you need. So this morning, I want you to see what is motivating me to make such a claim like that. What is underneath that statement? Let me give you at least four reasons why we must prioritize the local church. All right, and we're going to be learning from Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. So if you're not already there, you can turn to Ephesians. We could go all over Scripture for these reasons. I could add about 20 more, but I'm not. Okay? I'm going to try to keep things simple this morning, and so I'm grounding all my reasons from the book of Ephesians. And this letter, it's a good place to go because this letter is all about the centrality of the church. This thing God is doing in the universe right now in these last days. And so it's a great letter for us to park on to see why we need to prioritize the church. Now, one more disclaimer as we get going. Kids are about to get really loud downstairs. Okay? So just we'll acknowledge it, and we'll just keep moving. Okay? We'll pretend like they're not super loud. I'm a parent. doesn't phase me, but you're not. So, most of you at least. So it might phase you a little bit. So just, we'll just keep, we'll keep, we'll keep trucking, okay? My goal is to end a little early, but with all the, the fumbling around trying to get over here, I don't, know if we, I don't know if we will. And all the locals are like, yeah, he's not going to end early. He never ends early. All right. Four reasons. Why we must, must, you and I must prioritize the local church. Number one, the church is a big deal to God. All right? First reason that we must prioritize the church is because the church is a big deal to God. And I recognize that even saying it that way waters it down a little bit. It's putting it mildly. The Lord himself, the Lord 
prioritizes his church. And so should we. Just so we can get a, a feel for how big a deal the church is to God, I want you to look at a few statements Paul makes in the first chapters of this letter. I'll summarize these statements for you, because I think you'll see they're motivating, all right? Here's, here's the first one. God chose the church before he created the world. God chose the church. He chose to do this thing called the ecclesia before he ever created the world. I'll give you a chance to write that and then let your eyes fall here in verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul launches this letter with this outburst of praise because something is fueling this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, so he's writing to a church, even as he chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We're not going to unpack that. All I'm going to say is the church is not an afterthought to God. Did you notice the timestamp? Before when? Foundation of the world, right? The church is not an afterthought to God. No, we were in God's mind, planned and even chosen before the world began. This means then that the church is not some optional institution to the Lord. Are you tracking? He will not take, oh, I overslept, and I'm just, I got it anyway, a combo. Combo's not a church. This is what he planned before the foundation of the world, as ragtag as it seems. We can't even get our PowerPoints together, but this is what he planned before the foundation of the world. It's not some optional institution, far from it. God has always had his church in mind, and in fact, Paul goes on to say in this letter that the, cre- that the creation of the church was part of God's mysterious plan. It was hidden in ages past, but now has been revealed in high definition with the coming of Christ. Chapter 3 okay, of Ephesians. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Actually, if you want to write that down and look at it later. It's part of the mysterious plan. So instead of thinking of the church as marginal and, and, and something else like a Christian university as central, we should reverse it. We should think of the church as central and the other organizations as optional. The church, as ragtag as it might seem, is what God chose before he ever created. Another way that we see the church as a big deal to God is, that, is what, it, what it took him to create the church. God slaughtered his son to create the church. God sacrificed his only son to bring us into existence as Christians. Look with me here in chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to this language. But now, so he's talking about who we were before we were just outside of the people of God. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, he's talking about the Gentiles there. That's most of us in this room. 
You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So how are we brought near? Brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Okay? Keep going. Verse 13, 14, where are we at? For he himself, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So that he might reconcile, or he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, and thereby killing the hostility. What I want you to see here is that Paul says God brought us near through the blood of Christ, and that Christ, by his death on the cross, actually created what Paul calls this one new man meaning the church. This new humanity, that's the the language, of Jew and Gentile joined together, unified together in Christ, we are God's new people, His new humanity, as He intended from Genesis 1 and 2. He created the church, yes, that was a minute ago, and now he, He created it by killing His Son. He ended all our hostilities against each other. He enabled us to love each other. No matter our race, our ethnicity, we are together one new humanity in Christ, and Jesus died to achieve this. This shows us that God's very, very invested in the church. How do you know somebody's invested in something? How much they pay, right? You invest a dollar in an index fund, lose a dollar. Some of you are like, oh, I don't want to lose a dollar. You know, but you invest a million dollars in an index fund? Uh-oh. What happens if the market tanks? God invested his son, the death of his son, the most precious, the eternal son of God, to create the church. This shows us that God is very invested in the church and in particular in the local church. He is very concerned that we learn to get along and that we learn to display the reality of the unity that he has created. And that's because Paul says that God's wisdom is displayed through the church. God's very wisdom is put on display on a billboard through us. As we're saved and brought together into this local assembly. Look in verse 10, chapter 3. God's doing this new thing, and he says, So that through the church, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This text shows us that God intends to put his wisdom on display to angels, to the cosmos, through the church. As as the angels look on, as the demonic realm, as they look on in astonishment, that people who once hated each other are now learning to love. And he goes on to say that God is uniquely glorified in and through the church because we're learning to display what God is like. 
to the world. That's chapter 3, verse 21. So when we put all these statements together, A, B, and C here, we put all these statements together, we start to see that the church is a huge deal to God. He planned it, He created it, and it displays His wisdom. It's central to His purposes for humanity. Most of your age group is drifting around trying to figure out what life's all about. This is what the life's all about. One new man. That Christ is reconciling people to himself. Paul did not say his eternal plan was to start a Christian university or a Christian nonprofit, as helpful as those institutions are. But he did say it was to create the church. Okay? So that's the first reason that we should prioritize the church. All right, let's keep moving. We got four of them. Number two, why should we prioritize the church? Because the church is what we've been saved into. Kind of by default, the church is automatically, if you're a Christian, God saved you into the church. So like a churchless Christian is like a weird thing. Okay, like you've been saved into this body. If you're a believer, your fundamental identity is bound up with God's people. Skip back up to chapter 2, verse 19. Talking about as we've been brought together, he says, So then you, the church, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the Jewish believers. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So if you're a believer, your fundamental identity is bound up with God's people by default. You were once an outsider, Paul says, but now you've been brought into God's family, into the church. This text shows us that God does not intend for Christians to live alone outside of the local church. You think, universal church, yeah, that's great, we're all part of the universal church, but who is he writing to? The church in Ephesus. He talks all about how that church was planted in Acts, how it has elders. That's a local church, or a group of churches at least, in the Ephesus area that has clear leadership, clearly planted by the apostles. They're submitting to the apostles' doctrine. We're talking, it's applied at the local level. And he says we're being built together into a holy temple. And he expects this local church, Paul expects this local church to be growing together in all these these ways, Sunday after Sunday. So just labor this a little bit, because I hear this all the time. Like, aren't we part of the universal church? Isn't that enough? The same Paul who wrote this letter is is the Paul who traveled around from city to city. He was evangelizing. When people converted to Christ, did he just leave them there as part of the universal church? Yes or no? No, he did not. He didn't just leave them. It's like, my job is done because they're converted. So if universal church was all we had to worry about, then that would make sense. Converted, check, move on. But that's not what he did. He gathered those converts together, and they met regularly as a local assembly. Then he appointed official leaders called elders. Pastors, typically in our, in our context, elders, to shepherd those local churches that he planted. 
And even though, I want you to get this, even though they were part of God's universal church, he expected them to meet together locally to commit to loving one another and learning to obey all that Christ has commanded. And I know if Paul were here, he would share my encouragement to you to find a healthy church and commit yourself to it wholeheartedly. I have no qualms about that. That's because at your conversion, God has brought you into this family, into his family. He brought you into his church. And so not committing to it and not regularly gathering with the church is like ignoring your family. You're like a piece of the temple that refuses to grow together with the rest of it. But some of you are tempted to think that liberty is your church because in many ways its structures try to mimic the church. They have campus community, basically church service, every Wednesday night. They have a leadership structure, resident shepherds, community group leaders. Maybe a lot of you are probably, are probably those things. That's good. But most of the resident shepherds are not actually pastors. So they aren't held to the biblical qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And often it amounts to a little bit more than peers influencing peers. Now don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not saying it's wrong or bad to have these structures on a hall. I think they can be very good. Christian RAs, Christian RSs, a Christian institution, these are wonderful means of grace into our lives. Don't mishear me. You can't get confused, though, and think you can just sub those out for the actual church. And that brings me to our third reason why you've got to prioritize the church is because the church is uniquely designed for our growth. The church is uniquely designed by God for our growth. So we can say it like this. Not only is the church what we're saved into when we come to Christ, but it's the ideal environment to grow us to become useful and fruitful. Does that make sense? That was God's blueprint, and you can't improve upon it, right? You can't improve upon it by a nonprofit or something else. This is God's blueprint to change his people. Look with me in chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7 here. Chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Grace, but grace was given to each one of us. He's talking about the, the grace gifts, spiritual gifts. But grace gifts was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, let a host of captives give gifts to men. All right, I know that's interesting. Keep moving. It's going to get really more, a lot more interesting. In, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's worthy of sermons in itself, okay? But we've got to keep moving. And he gave, listen, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this is unto the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, Till we all get to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then skip down to verse 15 here. 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole church body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, the whole church makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've got lots of sermons on this passage, okay? So you can go find them on the website. But my point here is that when God saved you and made you part of the church, he gifted you, that's where this passage starts, he gave you spiritual gifts to be used. That's how he starts this passage in verse 7. But the only problem is, when we're first saved, we're very immature and we're riddled with sin. And we're, we're ensnared in sin. We're always sinning, right? But, so, but the more mature people know how to handle that. They know how to work through it. They can, they can process. Often the less mature don't. And so they get easily entangled. We're all there at points, okay? We're depressed, anxious, full of lust, emotionally unstable, easily angered. Even though we're gifted, we're not that useful, for being honest. Because we're pretty self-absorbed. We're, we're, we're easily ensnared. We're more like a broken arm instead of a fully functioning arm in the church. And so we need mending. We need equipping. That's that word. We need to be equipped. But how do we change? Where do we find help? Paul says it's not in the therapist's office, but in the church. Now that's controversial, okay? <laughs> But it's what Christ has designed the church leaders to do. That's what he says. Paul has given the church gifts in the form of leaders, leaders who do this very work of equipping. Did you notice everybody he said? Verse 11, the apostles, they wrote the scriptures for us. The prophets wrote the scriptures for us. The evangelists, they brought us to faith in Christ. The shepherds and teachers are nurturing us to maturity. That's the people. That's, that's part of the blueprint of how you grow and change, is that you have to be, have access to these people. These faithful and qualified local church leaders teach the truth to the saints, and they model the truth lived out. Not perfectly, but consistently. They come in like a shepherd to help the saints overcome sin and learn to trust Christ by living new lives in the power of the Spirit. In other words, the leaders put the saints on the mend according to Paul. Which means that helping other people come to know Christ and grow in Him is the church's mission. That's what the church is designed to do, not some other institution. And the passage ends in the same way. The body is growing the body together in verses 15 and 16. So a healthy church, in other words, is designed by Christ with healthy pastors, ideally, who will equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that is why we should prioritize it. Because we need, all of us need, this faithful shepherding by the men that Christ has appointed. The Lord in His infinite wisdom did not give therapists to His people for their transformation. He gave pastors. He didn't give them community groups at university as helpful as they can be at times. He gave them the local church body. So, prioritize it. Paul says a healthy church will literally change your life. It will equip you tremendously for usefulness and the Lord will continue to use it to grow you to full maturity. That's what he says here in chapter 4. So we might differ. There might be some nuance. You might be offended. But we can talk around Ephesians 4. And it's bulletproof. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to chat with you and, and, and nail some of those things down with you. But I want you to see this very clearly. All right. 
This leads us to our fourth reason. We've got to prioritize the church. Similar to, to reason number three, but it's sort of the negative side of it. Because the church, a healthy church, protects us from spiritual danger. A healthy church protects us from spiritual danger. In other words, we are in grave danger if we're floating. If we're uncommitted to a healthy church and just kind of lingering around, you're just kind of visiting here, there, maybe go with a roommate, maybe, maybe sleep, like you're in the danger zone. It doesn't have to be here. You don't have to come here. You've got to go somewhere that's healthy. And in the letter, Paul highlights some of the dangers that we are protected from when we've submitted ourselves to the church. We're protected from false teaching that is very deceptive, by the way. You think false teaching? I would never. I would never. I would never fall prey to false teaching. I bet if we talked long enough, there's some strands that have influenced your thinking tremendously. Because it's the air we breathe. There's a danger from false teachers, and if you coast, you will be influenced. Notice, Paul says, where if we pick back up in Ephesians 4, where we were at, that he gave these gifts to the body. He's designed this church to grow us all the way up until verse 13. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul's heart was pulsating here. He was afraid for this Ephesian church. If they don't sink in, they're in danger. The default status is to be influenced by every wind of doctrine, to be influenced by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We need a healthy congregation and its faithful pastors to teach us truth to model it for us, again imperfectly, I'm not saying there's perfection here, we need, a, we need a healthy congregation to help us apply truth to our own lives. So just think about this for a second. This, isn't, don't, this is like the only time I really rail on LU, so I'm, I'm not railing on LU. I love liberty. I'm a graduate, okay? I was even, in, I was even an RA for a number of years, if you can believe it. Um, so I love it. I know what it can do. I'm, I'm very thankful. But listen. Liberty University has to stay incredibly wide in its theological positions. Why? So that it doesn't ostracize any one denomination that's coming in. And not just that, it occasionally invites to convocation people that we would put in the category of false teachers. Okay? And I'm not talking about politicians, um, motivational speakers, okay? Like, Listen to them. I listen to politicians, right? Like, watch YouTube videos. Yeah, great. I'm talking about men posing as pastors who are threats to the flock. All this to say, if you think you're insulated from every wind of doctrine at LU, you are not. And Paul here says that the church is designed to help mature you to be discerning so that you will not be tossed around. Now listen, the goal of our church is not to, not to make you heresy hunters. So you're just going down Liberty University, mowing down things, defying your profession. That's not the goal, okay? If you are mature, you will be loving people 
and you will be laying your life down in sacrificial service to them. That's the mark, not da 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 you know? And some of you need to be put in a cage for a little while, okay? Humble yourself, learn some. I was in the same stage, okay? I know I'm being incredibly frank with all the new people, but I got one shot, okay? Uh, so that's a danger, okay? False teaching. But it's not the only danger, okay? To make matters worse, there is a danger from your own nature, your own old sinful humanity that's still hanging around. If you're new, you can underline verse 22 here in chapter 4 because this is a mainstay. 22, 23, and 24, this is our bread and butter uh, around here in counseling, shepherding. But verse 22 in particular, Paul tells us that we've learned to put off our old self, the old humanity. That's not who we are anymore. Okay, but, we, but he, he still lingers around. She still lingers around trying to influence. He tells us, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's the old you. And this old self is corrupt through the desires of deceit. Okay? It's corrupt through the desires of deceit. What does that mean? He's saying that even though we're Christians, we are still prone toward deception because of the influence of the old nature. And then the wrong desires that churn up in our hearts from that deception. You think about Eve? Adam and Eve? The Lord had just told her, them, him, and then relayed to her through Adam. Do not eat from this tree. If you do, you will die. She goes up to the tree, has an interaction with the serpent. She assesses the tree as good. She saw that the tree was good for food. Is it good for food? No, it's poison. The Lord just told her if she ate it, she would die. So now there's a lie that has deceived her. Deception first, then... The desire started churning. Oh, it's good. Mmm. Now I want it. Right? Now I want this. Pornography. Whoa, it's good. Now my desires are just raging. Right? It is not good. Like, that is poison. But our desires, our old humanity starts churning up because of that deception. And then, it's, then our, our desires and our, our actions follow suit. We'll be unpacking that on Sunday evenings in the main service uh, this semester. But all this, my point here, is just to underscore how much we need truth coming to us from the outside and from other faithful brothers and sisters right here in the church, pastors in the context of this church. In the church, we are so committed to each other in love that we will help each other avoid the deceptions of our own hearts. So we encourage... With truth, we, if necessary, we confront graciously with truth, patiently, to help you discern the lies of your hearts. We're all coming alongside and, and sharing how we've been deceived in the same ways and the truths we've learned that set us free. If I have any insight, guess why? 
because I had to repent of the deceptions myself. People came to me, helped me see in grace, in love, kindness, for my good. That's the kind of protection that we find in a healthy church. And finally, there's the danger from Satan and his hordes um, that Paul warns us about over in chapter 6. There's a danger that we face from Satan and, and the hordes. Look in verse 11 here, just again, just dropping in. He tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Don't lose the context of these verses. This is in Ephesians, the letter about the church. So you're taking up the whole armor of God in the context of the local assembly. And that's because we must put this on because we have a very real, invisible enemy of our souls who is actively scheming against us. He's crafty. And God's solution to him is that we're united to Christ who is far above all authorities and powers of the air, and that we belong to his church, to his people. So, suffice it to say that we need truth coming to us via the church, via its faithful leadership, via its congregation who live out before us. And why? It's because we're in danger without it. That's, why, that's the fourth reason why we've got to prioritize the church. So, I know I've thrown a lot at you. I'm tired, okay? But we didn't even talk about everything. There's so much more we can talk about. We barely scratched the surface. In fact, if all these reasons are kind of a jumbled mess in your head right now, you just walked in and you're like, what did I get myself into? Just remember, why do we need to commit to a healthy church? Because the Lord has designed the church for our protection, for our growth, and ultimately for his glory. Protection, growth, glory. And what other institution on earth can say that? And so I just want to encourage you, at the outset of the year, don't put the church on the back burner. If you're returning to us here at Timberlake and we're your church home, make this congregation one of your top priorities. Immerse yourself with us as much as you can. I know you have other responsibilities. You've got to fulfill those as part of being a faithful Christian. I'm not saying drop everything and just be a church member all the time. We can talk about the balance and some of those things, but immerse yourself. And if you're visiting, if you're visiting around town, please know that we're not saying that you have to stay here. Our only plea is that you pick a healthy church. And I keep saying healthy. Because sadly, so many churches in our town are not healthy. So many students I, I, I talk to are involved in some of these, these churches that are not, not truly churches, or they're unhealthy churches. And a grave mistake would, you be, would be picking a church that sort of scratches the itches that you think are important. 
the end of the uh, end of last or at the beginning of last year, I preached a similar message and very following convo. It was like the church convo. Like they highlighted all the different churches in the area. People were sending it to me, texting it to me. Look, Liberty's prioritizing the church, and I was ex- I was ecstatic. I was like, this is amazing because they didn't do that when I was there. It was all things LU, but now it's like. We're pumping them out to the, to the church. We want them to get involved. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. So I'm watching this thing, watching this thing. It gets down to the very end of the, of, the, of the panel discussion. And one of the guys on there says, okay, now let me just sort of summarize this. You get involved in the church. I'm like on my computer. I'm watching this. I'm like, yes, you know. And he says, now when it comes to picking one, you go, I should have had this quoted, but you go wherever is right best for you. Like, Go to whatever thing, whatever place you can impact and be an influence. And no, 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 It's basically whatever you want, just go to it. That was the worst advice that he could have given in that moment. Like, I couldn't think of it. I was, the ball was on the tee to hit it off. It's like, no, there, Christ did not stutter when he talked about his church and what his church should be and do and the danger of false churches. So the difficulty now is, Okay, how do I know a healthy church from an unhealthy one or even a false church? Thankfully, Christ has been explicit about this in his word. And so, shameless plug for our Thursday night Bible study, starting this week, if you want to know, just hit us for two weeks and then out the door, if you want to know, okay, how do I know if the place I land is going to be healthy or not? Some basic diagnostics from the Bible not from your desires or the type of worship music you like or whatever. Like, if you want to know from Scripture, hear the diagnostics, please come out that night. Again, not a ploy to try to build our ministry. I'm trying to influence you in truth. It's my only desire. And if you take what I learn and you go and apply it and you land at that church, praise God. That would be a massive W in my mind. All right? So, again, just shameless plug for that. And I know, just let me say this one more thing. That I know that many of you, because I talk with you, I, I, we, we shepherd. Many of you come from unhealthy churches or have in the past because they're rampant. That's part of what fuels our training, our expositors. It's what fuels us to train men and send them to the nations. We sent a man to communist China a couple weeks ago. And his family of little kids. Like, we're serious about this. There are unhealthy churches. We want to see you in a healthy church, and we want more of them. And if you're coming from an unhealthy church, my heart breaks. You're going to get hurt here, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there, because we're all sinners, and we sin against each other. But the point of a church is that we know how to reconcile. Just because you get hurt, that doesn't, that's not the end of the story. But coming in here, we want to help you unpack that, unpack your experience, because churches can be deadly places sometimes, especially if they're not following the chief shepherd's instructions. So we want to help you unpack that. We're not saying that every church is wonderful. You're going to go in, you're going to get a great thing. That's why we're so desirous to help you identify what makes the church healthy. And even in the healthy churches, you can get bombed sometimes. Um, from the outside, because Satan is crafty, okay? So that's just, again, that was, a, that was an addendum there uh, at, at the very end. Sorry about that. Um, to just let you know, okay, we want to help equip you. Come out Thursday nights just for at least the next two weeks, and then after that, 
we will jump into an exposition of 1 Peter, which I'm very excited about. Um, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be part of your church. I pray for these students again. I know Pastor Rich prayed earlier, but I pray for them that your truth would impact their hearts by the power of your spirit, that they would have their eyes opened, if they're not already, to see the beauty of your church, that they would land somewhere that's healthy, and that these next four years, three, two, however many they have left in Lynchburg, would be utterly transformative because of that. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.